Thank you, Pastor Vasquez. Let's extend that toward heaven today. With our hands raised and our voices lifted high, giving God a great shout of acclamation in this place tonight. Come on, He deserves it all. He deserves it all. Let's praise Him. Let's magnify Him. Jesus be magnified. Be glorified in this house tonight. Give Him a great hand again. He's worthy. So worthy. Amen. Choice greetings and blessings to all of you. You may be seated tonight. What a great delight it is to be here in Potts Camp at Bethlehem Church flagship churches of our fellowship I can sense the presence of the Lord I'd forgotten how windy Overton School Road was but I knew when I got here that I was in the right place what a beautiful presence of God we feel in this house tonight I was here um, 23 years ago about 23 years ago as a young evangelist starting out and so many who got the opportunity, the blessings of this church were uh, bestowed upon us. And we pulled in in a little 23-foot travel trailer, an old beat-up Ford Power Stroke diesel. And uh, my trailer jacks went out right here in Bethlehem. And I couldn't get my trailer up in. Brother Wilson said, hey, we got a place for you right over here. And uh, took us, took care of us, fed us, and that's just what they do here. And it's, we're the product of so many that's been blessed uh, by the Wilsons. And I want to say tonight, it's just a delight to get to be back 23 years later and uh, get to see each and every one of you. I do see a few familiar faces from back then. I'm in a room full of heroes tonight. I uh, was hoping I'd get to connect. I heard Brother, Wils Brother Mike Wilson was here this morning, right? And I uh, love and appreciate him. And, of course, uh, your bishop, when he gets to come into our area, we've had him in our church a few times. And I want to thank he and Sister Wilson through the years for their kindnesses and also just the dignity, grace, and class that they have set before us as a fellowship. Appreciate your bishop tonight. And your response to my next statement will certainly, I think, validate the truth of it. And that is your pastor is one of the greatest preachers in Pentecost. Give honor to him and his family and their leadership here. He has certainly blessed the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And eternity will only tell the tale of all of the many revivals, district conferences, and camp meetings that he's spoken to. A very brilliant, well-learned preacher. And I am so thankful and honored to share uh, the opportunity to serve with him in the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two of some of my favorite folks are sitting over here on the right side, brother and sister Carson. I love them, appreciate them. He, uh, he'd tell you he knew me when I was about yay tall. 
but I know I was at least yay tall. So I love and thank them for all that they have invested. And if I could say thank you to Bethlehem Church and all that it has invested down through the years and the decades to the fellowship at the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the ministries that you have launched, all of the missionaries that you have supported, all of the great ministries and the saints behind the scenes who have done things to further and advance the kingdom of God. Give yourself a great hand in a great church. Amen. This is a, a little bit of a handicap weekend for me. I can only think of about three or four occasions, maybe maybe not even four, where uh, Sister Cindy Wimberly uh, was not with me. And um, I usually sing two or three songs with her, and, and we'll have a good time. And uh, she went west to Carlsbad, New Mexico, and spent a little time with her mom. And uh, I took my buddy brother, Connor Wimberly. He's a frontline worshiper. He went with me to NYC, and I'm glad to have him with me tonight. But she may be watching if you're live streaming. I want you to know, honey, I miss you, and I love you. And if you were here tonight, I'd let you sing a solo. <laughs> Amen. I had to come all the way to Tennessee, I told Brother Wilson, to get the Texas crud. And uh, so we're going to give you a little bit of what we have left tonight. Let's lift our hands again and just begin to thank God for His goodness and His richness. Father, we're a blessed people tonight. We're thankful to stand before Your children. I pray, God, You would crown this service with Your sweet, sweet presence. I thank You, God, for what You're doing in this great church. I have been watching a few of your webcasts over the last several weeks and I rejoice with you in all that the Lord is doing here with all of the many souls who've been baptized in Jesus' name and those who've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I pray maybe God will allow us tonight to make a small contribution to help you understand that you have not plateaued. You have not plateaued. There are still some things God wants for you. So by all means, do anything but be still because there's some advancement still to be made. While you're standing and finding the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, again, it's our great delight to get to stop back through Bethlehem and be here with you. We're so thankful for what the Lord is doing we pray tonight that somehow he could use us to be a blessing. I want to read three verses of scripture for your hearing. This passage finds us here at a moment of Old Testament history of a particular maniacal king. And I want to take tonight a statement and um, I want to draw from the lips of Ahab something that he said and hopefully it'll encourage you the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse number 1 and they continued 
three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still. And take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. That little statement that Ahab is making here is where I want to somehow, someway underscore tonight. He said, Ramoth in Gilead is ours. And then he said, and we be still. Somebody shout, it's ours. Saying, we be still. I pray tonight through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost if it be my helper and perhaps you would be as well that you tonight would realize your potential and your purpose and understand this evening that you must not be still if you're going to attain what God wants you to still attain. You have not reached the apex just yet. There's still some greater things that God wants to unfold and wants to do. It's ours. Heaven help us not to be still tonight. Heaven help us to take it. Put your Bible down and clap real hard under the Lord this evening. If you like, if you like, give him a shout. standing you may be seated and the Lord bless you. It has to be in my estimation at least one of the most curious passages in all of the Bible. God's cup of mercy with the wicked king named Ahab was finally full. He's ready in fact to kill him and to be done with him and then from the lips of a very obscure prophet named Micaiah comes this description in First kings of this extraordinary and intriguing scene that takes place within the halls of heaven. Micaiah says, Here be God sitting high upon his throne and on either side the heavenly host all about him. And from that throne, God, believe it or not, is actually soliciting someone. He's soliciting anyone from this angelic band of elders and angels to go out and seduce Ahab to go to war against Syria so he can slay him there in the battle and be done with this desperate, diabolical king. According to Micaiah, ideas in heaven are bantied about first this and then that when suddenly scripture tells us that a spirit appears before the Lord and says I'll persuade him and I believe I'll make him go and then there is this obvious query that comes back from God's throne he said wherewith and how is it that you propose to do this and 
The answer was, the answer was, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So in other words, this spirit says, I'll make sure that Ahab gets some bad advice. And God said, go, do it. Persuade him and prevail. It really is an amazing scene straight from the mouth of Micaiah. God Almighty surrounded by heavenly hosts actually soliciting someone, anyone to go and deceive a man to his own destruction. You may remember the New Testament version of that scenario where the Bible tells us that while they obeyed the truth, but because with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The point is this, that beguiling spirit did go to Ahab's prophets. They did give him bad advice. He did go out in a battle against Syria and despite his attempt to disguise and appear as a warrior and not a king, the Bible tells us that a certain man drew a bow and venture smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, turn thine hand and carry me out of the host for I'm wounded. And the battle increased that day and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and he died at even and the blood ran out of the wound in the midst of the chariot. And so goes the end of Ahab. Now what's easy to miss in all of the intrigue of that scenario in the buildup of that battle, what's easy I believe for us to overlook is why they were going to war in the first place. Apparently, in some signal moment of reflection and revelation, this wicked king Ahab made an accurate and rather astute observation about God's people concerning a particular place, a strategic spot called Ramoth in Gilead. And from the lips of this ancient despot king, surprisingly, there comes some truth. When to Israel, God's people he turns and says these words. Know ye not that Ramoth in Gilead is ours and we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. Understanding very well Ramoth in Gilead was a city that had been given to the Levitical order, the priests by Moses, but beyond it just being a Levitical city, it had all other kinds of unique assets as well. The scripture says that it was, everybody shout a high place. 
not insignificant in those times, a high place. In fact, the very word Ramoth actually means high place. It stands some 3,000 feet above sea level, towering above all of the other parts of the region round about it. And it offered, as you could guess, a commanding view of all the landscape surrounding it. It would be difficult, if not absolutely impossible, for someone to sneak up on or attack by ambush anyone who dwelt in Ramoth in Gilead because it was what you shouted a high place. But it wasn't only just a high place. It was also a safe place. It was one of those six original cities of refuge. It gave safe haven to those fleeing the dreaded avenger of blood. The roads, remember, well marked to get there. Clear highways were wide. Paths kept clear. There was safety as well within the walls of Ramoth. But maybe more importantly tonight, if I could drive it home, than it just being a high place. And perhaps more importantly than it just being a safe haven. But perhaps Ahab was also thinking about the rocky slopes of Gilead. Perhaps he was also thinking about that certain tree that grew there on those rocky slopes. It was a tree that when wounded, it emitted an ointment that was able in that ancient time to heal all manner of diseases. And thus do we read and preach and shout about that ancient healing balm of Gilead that was harvested from those wounded trees that grew in the soil of that safe high place. You may recall tonight the saga of one Joseph when he was told by his jealous brothers to, he, he was sold, if I could say, to a band of Ishmaelite merchants. They had come down from Gilead. They were en route to Egypt. They're going to sell that same healing potion from Ramoth in Gilead. So again, for some reason in the dusk of his days, this maniacal king begins to remember. He begins to pine for that place called Ramoth of Gilead. He begins to regret, no doubt, that he had not gone up and taken it sooner when he had the chance to. And in an effort to try to stir up the passion within his people, he makes this very provocative statement that I believe echoes tonight within the confines of Christ's church. Even now, when he said again, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, but we be still and take it not. He's telling them it belongs to us. It's a high place. It's a safe place. It's a healing place. There's healing balm there. It's ours. We ought to go up and take it, but we be still. There was something of value. There was something of virtue that belonged to God's chosen children that was being handled right then by heathen hands. Not because, hear me, not because God didn't want them to have it. 
nor because they were powerless to take it. It was there because they be still. They were at ease and they had designed themselves that they were going to stay postured where they were and just go on living without it. But I'm coming to tell somebody tonight, it's ours. Let's not be too still. There's still some healing. There's still some things God wants to do in this church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just resign themselves to live without it. And Satan had taken possession of their treasure. I don't believe I'm going too far afield tonight when I say that even in this modern, sophisticated religious age that our adversary, the sifter, the liar, the accuser, that devourer, that old dragon, a devil, he has embezzled too many of us. He's pillaged our hearts. He's plundered our souls. He's pirated away the possessions that would be ours. And he would like to make some of us think that like Esau of old who sold what he could not buy back, like Judas who betrayed what he could not redeem, like that rich young ruler who had ran past his intersection of opportunity that he could not turn back. Our adversary would like to make us think that we cannot retrace our steps, that we can't go back and reclaim victories, but I'm rising to tell somebody in this holy house tonight that he is a liar and the father of all lies and the truth is not in him. There is something our adversary has, but we need to get up and we need to go take it back. Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we be still. Heaven help us. On that single page of prophecy, Obadiah read of a day when he cried in Obadiah 117, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. There shall be deliverance there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shout that's us shall possess their possessions the prophet saw a day hallelujah glory to God he saw an hour when we would possess everything that was ours I'll say it again ownership was not the issue it was theirs already but rather than embracing what was theirs already they left it laying in heathen hands and Ahab said it's time we get up and go get it I want to say to somebody in this house tonight who perhaps over the last two years has watched with resignation while the antagonist of your soul has inhabited and possessed something which belonged to you. I want to stand and say to you unequivocally, he who has called you is faithful and he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete that good work that he has begun in you. He'll see it through until the end and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind on earth 
shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm saying to you sweet saints tonight, let's look our adversary in the eye and say to every force of darkness, we, we, you will not have my treasure any longer. Coming to get my stuff. I'm not off the mark when I tell you that I believe that the devil, at least in the church I pastor, has plundered too many, too often, taken precious treasures that God intends for us to experience and enjoy. And somebody needs to rise up and go get it. And although it came out of the mouth of a wicked, despot king, at least he had sense enough to perceive it. He says it's ours, but we be still. Hey, hey, why don't you go get your shout back? Why don't you go get your dance back? Why don't you go get your leaping back? Why don't you go get your running back? Why don't you go get your prayer life back? Bless God, why don't you get your passion back? It's ours, it's ours. But we be still. It don't belong to Satan, it's yours. But we be still. We sometimes sit still with resignation, not by design, but by default. And the devil comes and he pillages the lives of so many of treasures that God intends for us to enjoy from side to side, from front to back. And I pray, heaven, let something rise within the wells of our souls corporately that will shout back, it is enough. Whether it's my joy, whether it's my victory, whether it's my shout, whether it's my healing, hallelujah, whether maybe that Satan, whatever has robbed me of, I pray tonight in Jesus' name, may you possess your possessions. Unable, but we sit sometimes and we think, how could it ever be me? Like the one unable to comprehend that for which she was apprehended. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, as you know, listened to the preposterous dream of her husband to raise up innumerable seed. And she pronounced herself unable to be a part of God's divine plan, to set about, to circumvent the announcement of the angel. And all too well, she was aware of her advancing age. And Abraham, her husband, she determined, I'm going to take myself out of the prophetic picture. And in so many words and by her actions, she said to Abraham, not me, not here, not now. And I say with regard to matters spiritual, she might be the mother of millions, individuals like you and me tonight. Some of us perhaps in this room who have been opting out, fulfilling our role in redemption's plan. And I say that tribe is neither new or few, but the scriptures are replete with examples of others who have preceded us, others who saw their rain off, but for whatever reason, they halted and remained still. He's called, you recall, strolling through the hot burning sands of Midian, arrested <laughs> that day by a bush that burned and yet remained. And Moses, with tremor in his voice, 
said back to God at this initial calling, what shall I say hath sent me? And heaven thundered back to his inquest and said, Ahalia, Asher, Ahalia, I am that I am has sent thee. And so Moses said, well, that didn't work. I'm moving to my second line. But God, I have no power. That's when God turned his staff to serpent back to staff, his hand leprous and white, and then back to normal flesh. And so God made his arguments a mute issue. Finally, God says to Moses with a stutter, he said, you, 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 you mu- 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 must not uh, understand that, 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 that I can't speak very well. To be sure, this would be the trump card to get him out of God's call. But God says, hey, I already knew you couldn't talk. Your brother Aaron's on his way up to be your statesman. So Moses took himself with his handicaps to Egypt. He whispered Pharaoh to his face. He left the Egyptians dead in a Red Sea and left Israel on a march to victory because his Ramoth in Gilead moment had arrived and Moses even with his apprehensions stepped into the will and the purposes of God I've come to tell somebody tonight it's yours don't be still I see him trembling cowering behind a wine press startled, scared, senseless by an angel muttering something about him leading Israel to victory. But Gideon could not see himself in the role. He wasn't ready for anything such as that. He had the numbers on his side and he said back to the angel, he said, wait, wait a minute. My tribe is the smallest. My family is the poorest and I am the least in my father's house. And he was certain that his argument would end God's inquest. But he goes, you know it. He prepares a meal. For that angel, the angel cooks it. They pour broth on the sand. The fire consumes the meat and the bread. And God says to Gideon, go in this thy might. He reluctantly goes, destroys the altars at Baal in the middle of night. In three weeks, I couldn't preach it if it wasn't in the word. He took 300 men with pitchers, swords, and trumpets. He took 300 men and wiped out the world's greatest war machine because his intersection with destiny and purpose had arrived. He saw his Ramoth and he refused to remain still. I'm saying tonight that may that spirit, may that same spirit of God see some of us in this service who might be sitting here saying, not me, not here, not my church, not my ministry, not at this time. Those who like Ahab lamenting cry, Ramoth is ours and we be still. I pray God forbid, rather let our anthem be let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Clap your hands and shout. Why? Why? Tell me why should we, the carriers of truth and hope, sit still one more moment? 
our dilemma of delay perplexed even the Messiah himself when he declares, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I saith unto you, lift up your eyes and look under the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. See, mankind's penchant for procrastination, perplexed even the angels, having just received the great commission to spread the Jesus name new birth message to every creature from the lips of Christ himself, watching him ascend up into the clouds, having been promised that they would rendezvous with him in Jerusalem by his spirit in doing them with power from on high. Those angels stood there baffled by apostles' posture that had They had to get their attention because of the way they just kept standing and staring. And so they stopped the staring and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? See, I think we need less stargazers and more soul winners. The angels had to get them refocused on the divine task at hand. And don't think for a moment that heaven hasn't had to do the same for us. Ramoth and Gilead is ours and we be still. We learn swiftly in just a matter of months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt. God will take away everything we worship. God said, you want to take, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I'll shut down rock concert halls. He said, you want to worship actors? I'll shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy, collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I'll make it where you can't even get inside the building. And I say after all of this, with the undeniable evidence of a world in desperation, I pray, oh God, let every apprehension of my timid mind be overturned tonight and let us rise up and possess our possessions. Ramoth in Gilead is ours. Let's not be still. It was a September afternoon in 1779. Old John Paul Jones was fighting for the American colonies. He sailed his tiny ship, the Von Holm Richard, out into the North Sea. And he quickly encountered a convoy of British ships led by a great battleship. They came and shot over his bow. They signaled for him to halt, fearing to be sunk. (laughs) He pulled up alongside that great big British battleship and he tied on to that great ship and the British captain looked over his uh, tall ship mockingly and callously leaned over the railing and he called on down to old John Paul Jones and he said to him well do you surrender and John Paul Jones inscribed his name in history when he shouted back to that British captain and said with surprising boldness surrender 
I have not yet even begun to fight. And three hours later, that British captain surrendered his men, his guns, and his great big battleship to one John Paul Jones. And I say that if the human spirit is capable of that kind of resolve in natural theaters of flesh and blood, I say how much more ought something sees us in this blessed church tonight. Men and women, young people and ministries who are twice born, blood bought, baptized, hallelujah, who are kept by the power of God, by faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. I say we ought to send that hill tonight. How about it? I say we capture Ramoth. I say let's go to that safe place. I say let's go to that high place. Let's go to that healing place. Let's plan an apostolic banner of revival and say it's ours. It's ours. We won't be still. Can you praise him in this house tonight? Maybe seated David once the giant killer was descending the spiral stairs of despair. You recall the scene. Spittle matting his beard. He feigned himself mad at the gate of the city of Philistia and begged to enter the gate of a people whose champion he'd already slain. And in that riveting narrative of 1 Samuel 30, you find him and his men returning to their assigned city Ziklag and David finds it burglarized and looted. Families stolen, homes burned. He's standing in the ashes of what's left and his men are contemplating quite capable they know they can kill him. He's distraught and the Bible says, you know, he encourages himself in the Lord. That might be a good place for some of us to start tonight. He calls for the ephod <laughs> He sets out to inquire of God, and this is what he asks. He says, God, I've been there. I've, I've sat there. Do I just sit here and absorb the loss? Do I just resign myself to the fact that I've been stripped and plundered and robbed? Or do I rise up weary to the bone to be sure but yet still do I rise up and take back what's been stolen out of my life. That's what David asked God. And to his surprise and delight, God answered back out of the ephod and said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. I don't know what the devil's got that used to belong to you, but I know that he doesn't have it because it's God's will for him to have it. And he doesn't have it because we're too powerless to take it. He has it because we be still. He has it. It's ours and we be still. Ahab says it's ours, but we be still. I say no, a thousand times no. I say we pursue. I say we recover. I say we possess our possession. David's wives are taken, Abigail and Athenel. There's more than just a little emblematic symbolism, symbolism there. One of their names means pleasant. 
The other wife's name means joy and rejoicing. So David's lost personally what was good and pleasant in his life, and he didn't want to live one more moment without it. It's ours, but we be still. 200 of his 600 men, too faint to cross the brook Besor. So 400 of them just began to march. And Scripture says, I love it, it's in there. They surprised the Amalekites. And when they got there, they found them dancing and frolicking all over the spoils of battle, reveling in their good fortune of what they had taken from God's servant. Wicked hands of evil men had closed around the sons and daughters and wife of David and his men. And I believe for many of us, even in our churches, something similar has happened to some of us. Our hearts have been hijacked by those unholy fiends of hell. And there's people perhaps in this place who's battled discouragement on a level like some people have never known. The weight of the world has encroached upon somebody's life and you will let your adversary take territory from you that once belonged to God and somebody needs to do what David did in righteous indignation the Bible said he sat upon his enemy and the Bible said he attacked them from the morning until the evening and it says he surprised them I just can't get over that he surprised them I love it it said he surprised Surprise them, and I'm here to tell you it would surely be a surprise to the devil if some of us were to get up and make a march on hell here tonight. And I'm sorry you didn't think I was going to come get it, but I'm coming to take my treasure back. I've come for my Ramoth, my high place, my safe place, my healing place. He attacked them from morning till evening all day long and the Bible says there was nothing lacking to them neither small nor great neither sons nor daughters neither spoil nor anything they had taken to them David recovered all I say pray I pray great God of heaven help somebody here in this place tonight decide here and now what's there spiritually that's been held by Satan long enough and they're going to rise up and pursue and take back everything that they've lost. I can't help tonight but hear the voice of the ancient shepherd Amos tonight as he says, Woe, woe, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. We got to remember, heaven help us remember, that we're not standing this evening on this battlefield alone. That Ramoth is ours to possess. And there's one who's fighting for us. And there's one that's fighting with us. I said ours is the God that brought Israel out of Egypt with plagues and wonders and miracles. Somebody needs to remember tonight that ours is the God who makes ravens fly to his servants' feet, who makes iron heads swim, that makes seas roll back, that makes manna appear, water flow out of rocks, and widow's oil multiply, puts tax 
money in fish's mouths, makes a lad's lunch feed thousands, makes the sun stand still. Lepers were cleansed, the lame walked, the dumb talked, the deaf hear, and the blind received their sight. I say, let's not forget who we're dealing with here tonight, but rather let's go and take back everything. Let's ascend that hill. Ramoth and Gilead is ours. In time harvest, in time reaping is ours. Let's not be still. Somebody shout a high place. Shout a safe place. Shout a healing place. It's ours and we be still. Some of us have allowed the adversary to possess that place too long. And it's not because God doesn't want us to have it. It's not because we're powerless to take it. It's just because we be still. But I'm praying on this gathering tonight at a pure common sense that there's some people that are in this beautiful house that in a moment are going to stand four square and look your adversary in the eye for the sake of your own soul, for your own family, for your own ministry, and say, I've got news for you. It's mine, and you've had your way for too long. You who are here tonight, who feel and you know who you are, you feel spiritually squandered, depleted by the devil. You're tired of him reveling. You're tired of him rejoicing over your losses. I want you to know what the word of God is doing tonight. It's summoning you upward. The spirit is summoning you upward. Ramoth is yours. Healing is yours. Blessings is yours. We used to sing it this way. Victory is mine. We used to sing it that way, didn't we? Healing is mine. Blessing is mine. Hallelujah. It's mine. It's mine. I'm going to come and get it. Bless God, I pray the thing we won't do tonight is just be still. I pray somebody will say, I'm going to come and get what's mine. Stand to your feet and shout with your heart tonight. Taking it back. Doesn't matter if it's one single solitary soul in this great service of worship. If just one person, one family, one collective body would declare to hell and the forces of darkness. You've had my children, had my joy, you've had my dance, you've had my victory, my ministry, you've had my church. As long as you're going to have it, it's mine. I refuse to be still. I'm coming to get it. I wonder, I can't help tonight, but wonder how many men and women there are in this audience tonight who'd make their way to this altar and feel the front of this room and say, God, there's some things that I still need. I know we've been in revival. I know God has moved. I know we have danced and shouted and relished in your presence, but God, there's still some things that I need. There's still some places. There's still some heights. There's still some summits that I have not yet ascended to. I'm praying tonight that somebody in this place would say, I recognize my Ramoth moment and I'm going to apprehend that 
for that I'm apprehended for. God, help us tonight to ascend that hill. God, help us tonight to take that healing that you claimed that was ours. Oh, God, help us tonight. I pray make Bethlehem Church see more and more of a move of God like you've never seen. I pray, oh, Bethlehem Church, go up that hill in a sin and may God continue to break out miracles and signs and wonders in a capacity that you don't even comprehend. It's ours, it's ours. You find four or five people and just look at them and say, it's ours, it's ours. It's ours, revival's ours. It's ours. Backsliders and prodigals, they're ours. They're ours, they're ours. Healing is ours. A move of God is ours. End time harvest is ours. We will not be still. We, 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 we will do anything but be still. We won't be still. We're gonna send that heel tonight. Would you reach to heaven with me right now and say, God, I'm taking my family up the mountain. I'm taking my family. I'm following my pastor. I'm following my pastor up to Ramoth. Just a few short weeks pastors all across our fellowship will cast vision for their churches and say here's where God wants us to go in 2023 why don't you make up your mind right here at the end of November we're following him up to Ramoth it's ours it's ours it's ours we'll do anything but be still we will do anything but be still Reach for heaven, would you? Reach for heaven tonight. He caught Yes, yes. Yes, yes.
history and every time the world gets in trouble the church has revival amen I'm not afraid of a bad economy I'm not afraid of a bad political situation I'm not afraid of all that stuff none of that stuff could stop a revival church the only thing that can stop us is if we convince ourselves that we've gone as far as we can go and we've had as much as we can have Thank you, Brother Wimberly, for preaching to us tonight. What a word. What a word. Amen. We live, we live in such an astounding day of technology. So much happening. The advancements of science and technology. Can you believe that 600 years ago, before there were automobiles, trains, airplanes, computers, space shuttles, before any of that, before, before electricity inside buildings, before any of that, an entire nation, the nation of Spain, had convinced themselves that they had achieved everything that could be achieved. They made their national motto the words non plus ultra. And that simply means no more beyond. We've reached as much as can be attained. And it took an Italian explorer begging them for money to jump in a boat and cross the Atlantic and discover a new world. And on in the city where he's buried, there's a statue, and at the feet of Christopher Columbus, there's that phrase, nonplus ultra, but there's also a lion laying at his feet, and that lion has taken his paw and covered up the word non. And instead of it saying no more beyond, it just says more beyond. I'm going to tell you, there's more beyond. Whatever you've seen God do, there's more. Whatever you've felt Him do, there's more. However many people we baptize, there's more. How many of your loved ones have already prayed through, there's more. Amen, it's ours. Let's not be still. Amen. Amen. You see this young man, Stephen, that has his hand up in the air talking in tongues? He was a young person in Brother Carson's church in North Vernon, Indiana. How long ago? 30 years, over 30 years ago, got away from God, somehow found his way to Bethlehem, is talking in tongues right now. There's more beyond. It's ours. Let's not be still. This is ours. Let's not be still. Woo. I feel a shout in my bones right now. Can I prophesy to some families? If you can shout for this man coming. 
ました。